today raises an important question. By whose authority do we live our lives? It's a timely question for sure, as relevant in Jesus' day as in our own. Who or what has authority over us? Our employers, our political leaders, nationalism, the almighty dollar, the church, or something else? Jesus is accused in our text of having authority himself. Those who saw what he did and heard what he said that day were astounded and amazed. It was customary on the Sabbath for religious leaders to interpret the scripture. Scribes were experts in the law of Moses and in traditional laws and regulations and would teach. But that day, a new teacher stepped forward. Jesus' methods were apparently unorthodox. He taught in an unexpected way, not referencing select commentaries or other teachers, but speaking freely from his own heart. Likewise, when, he conf when confronted by an unclean spirit, he didn't recite an incantation or call upon another power or some other authority. Instead, he simply rebuked the spirit himself, saying, Be silent, come out. If there is one thing that scholars agree about in regard to Jesus, it's that he was a wisdom teacher, one who taught with authority. Wisdom concerns how to live. It speaks of the nature of reality and how to live one's life accordingly. Central to it is the notion of a way or a path. There is a wise way and a foolish way. Teachers of wisdom speak of these two ways, commending the one and warning about the other. Much of what I want to say about wisdom today comes from the writing of Jesus scholar Marcus Borg in his book, Meeting Jesus Again for the First Time. Borg writes that there are two types of wisdom and two types of sages, the most common being conventional wisdom. Its teachers are conventional sages of the mainstream wisdom of culture, what everybody knows and understands about what is real and how to live. The second type is a subversive and alternative wisdom. This wisdom questions and undermines conventional wisdom and speaks of another way, another path. It teach, its teachers are subversive sages of what Borg calls the road less travel. And so it was with Jesus. His wisdom spoke of a narrow way leading to life. The opposite of Jesus' subversive wisdom is what's known as conventional wisdom. It represents the dominant consciousness of any culture. It's, a culture, it's the culture's most taken for granted understanding of the way that things are. It's worldview or what everybody knows, the world that everybody is socialized into during the process of growing up. In recent months, we've come to recognize more broadly in this country that all of us have been raised in a culture steeped in white supremacy. It's the air we breathe, says Resma Menicum. Regardless of our skin color, we've been conditioned into a racist society. White supremacy has been woven into our psyches, which is what makes it so insidious and hard to correct. 
If there is a silver lining to the blatant racial bigotry and violence of the past several months, it is that it has further daylighted a shadow side of our all too often take it for granted culture so that we can address it head on. And like the exorcism in today's text, that doesn't happen without resistance and convulsing. But that's often necessary for healing and change to occur. There are a few common characteristics of conventional wisdom consistent from culture to culture, from Jesus' time to our own. First of all, conventional wisdom provides guidance about how to live. It covers everything from highly practical matters such as table etiquette to the central values and images of common life. Second, conventional wisdom is based upon the dynamics of rewards and punishments. You reap what you sow, follow this way and all will go well. You get what you deserve, the righteous will prosper. These are the constant messages of conventional wisdom. Third, as previously mentioned, conventional wisdom has both social and psychological consequences. Socially, it creates a world of hierarchies and boundaries. And some of these are inherited as when differences in gender, race, or physical condition are assigned different cultural values and roles. In short, whether in religious or secular form, conventional wisdom creates a world in which we live. It constructs a world. Indeed, it is the construction. It is a domestication of reality that we cast over reality. It is basically life within the socially constructed world. Life in this world can be and often is grim. It is a life of limited vision and blindness in which we see what our culture conditions us to see and pay attention to what our culture says is worth paying attention to. It enables things like racism and sexism and other forms of discrimination to flourish. It is a world of judgment and comparison, and it results in a life of anxious striving. Borg points out that there is an image of God that goes with this world of conventional wisdom too. When conventional wisdom appears in religious form, God's image primarily is as lawgiver and judge. God may be spoken of in other ways as well, for example, forgiving and gracious. But the bottom line is that God is seen as both the source and enforcer, and therefore the legitimator of the religious form of conventional wisdom. God becomes the one whom we must ultimately satisfy, the one whose requirements we must meet. When this happens in the Christian tradition, it promotes a Christian life marked by requirements, whether of belief or behavior, or most often both, and of rewards, typically in the next world. Christianity becomes, in the words of Brian McLaren, primarily an evacuation plan for heaven, with justice here and now taking a back seat. As long as you are saved for the next world, anything goes in this one. I recently watched an online presentation by McLaren entitled Christianity After Trump. 
He spoke about various segments of Catholic and Protestant churches who have been complicit in the spreading of lies and the recent acts of political violence that have threatened our democracy. He pointed to the number of cross-bearing, Jesus-proclaiming right-wing militia who stormed our nation's capital last month, acknowledging that many of them are obviously people who have spent considerable time in white American churches. McLaren points out on behalf of the Christian family more broadly that this, at least in part, is who we are. Referencing the work of social psychologist Bob Altemeyer, he went on to say that sociological and psychological studies have revealed that roughly 30% of the population is predisposed to having latent authoritarian tendencies, meaning that when triggered by fear and anxiety as a result of any threat to the status quo, 30% of us, 30% of us respond by submitting eagerly to an authoritarian figure for our security and for our sense of safety. And that those of us who do not only feel good as a result of submitting, but are euphoric. McLaren went on to say that many religious leaders, particularly Christian leaders, have conspired with this, having provided moral camouflage for Donald Trump and other like-minded authoritarians helping to make a large segment of the church complicit. In so doing, they have helped to establish a new set of authoritarian values that distort conventional wisdom. Values including the belief that winning is everything, that truth doesn't matter, that it's us versus them, that it's okay to lie and mock freely, and it's okay to use force of any kind when necessary because power and submission is all that matters. As a subversive teacher of wisdom, Jesus undermines all of this, then and now. He spoke of two ways, a wise way and a foolish way, a way of life and a way of death, a narrow way and a broad way. For most, the wise way was the way of conventional wisdom, and the foolish was disregarded. But Borg points out that Jesus reversed all of that. He spoke of the broad way that leads to destruction, not as gross wickedness or flagrant foolishness, but as the way of conventional wisdom. He directly attacked the central values of the social world, family, wealth, honor, purity, and religiosity. And he put all those things in their rightful place in relationship to God. In many of Jesus' parables and aphorisms, Jesus spoke against conventional wisdom, saying things like, the first shall be last, and if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it. And he invited his hearers to see God not as the judge, the one who has requirements that must be met, nor the, nor the legitimator of conventional wisdom, but as gracious and compassionate. It's these themes that run through Jesus' best-known parable, the story of the prodigal son, which portrays God as gracious and kind, forgiving and inclusive. If we take this God seriously, it completely undermines the world of conventional wisdom, whether in religious or secular form.
What then is the way that leads to life? It's the way known in the great commandment to love God with your whole heart and your neighbor as yourself. It's the imperative of Micah we see modeled in Jesus' life to love justice, to seek kindness, and to walk humbly with God. It's modeled by us today when we emulate and promote examples of anti-authoritarianism, anti-racism, when we're pro-science, pro-truth, pro-earth, and anything that is love-centered and Christ-like. It seems strange to say, or to have to say, that these things are subversive, but they are. Jesus offers a narrow way, a path that leads from the life of conventional wisdom to a life more and more centered in God. The alternative wisdom of Jesus sees the religious life as a deepening relationship with God's Spirit, liberating us from any demon that would tie us down, personally or collectively, including unquestioned conformity to doctrines and beliefs that support meritocracy. The wisdom of Jesus invites us to move from secondhand belief to firsthand knowledge of God's mercy and love. To quote Marcus Borg one more time, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus' own message is that there is a way of being that moves beyond both secular and religious conventional wisdom. The path of transformation out of which Jesus spoke leads from a life of measuring up, whether to culture or to God, to a life of relationship with God. It leads from a life of anxiety to a life of peace and, tr peace and trust. It leads from the bondage of self-preoccupation to the freedom of self-forgetfulness. It leads from life-centered in culture to life-centered in God. This is the authority of Jesus that astounded and amazed. May it transform our lives today.